0: This is the Midlife Moxie Podcast, a community all about midlife women making
1: this one of the best seasons of our lives. I'm your co-host, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be having deep conversations about things we're experiencing in midlife. And we'll be chatting with guests that have found their midlife moxie. What else, Gail? We'll also have experts on topics that you care about. We're gonna have a
0: lot of fun and laughs, so don't miss a single episode. to another episode of Midlife Moxie. We are so excited that you've joined us today. And Christina, oh my gosh, I'm super excited because we have our first guest. Aren't you excited?
1: I know. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, just meeting her for the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, she's my peeps. I am so excited, and I know that our listeners are going to be so excited as well to hear her history and a little bit about how she pivoted through this season. And I know a lot more as well. Right, Gail?
0: Yes, I am. I just can't wait to talk about all the things that have occurred with Jerusha in midlife. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. I'm excited to welcome her. She's one of my best friends on this planet. So, Midlife Moxie Girls, meet Jerusha Duford. Jerusha is a book author. She has written numerous magazine columns. She has appeared on CNN with Aaron Burnett multiple times. She also, y'all, had the top, one of the top five most read op-ed pieces in USA Today for the year 2020. Impressive, huh? Well, she's here with us today because her life for the last few years has been a roller coaster. And I'm calling her the Renaissance Woman, the modern Renaissance Woman, because she's done a wonderful job of navigating changes and recreating herself while staying true to herself. So welcome, Jerusha. Thank you for having me. So, Jerusha, do you mind to tell the Moxie girls how old you are now? I'm 43 years young. I tried to call her 44, and she didn't she like did. that. So, no. Jerusha's 43, and we're going to back <laughs> up in her story. Probably
2: five or six years. <laughs> when did you get Allie? Um, I got Allie. That's actually a good question. Well, she, I got her on her seventh birthday, and she's 13, so... You know, you guys do them About off. six
0: years ago, so very late 30s, yep. Jerusha adopted a child. Now, at the time, your children were already teenagers.
2: Yeah. Um, Liam was, what, 11? And um, I guess 12. And Annabelle was a teenager. And they um, just got a new sibling overnight, literally.
0: <laughs> and so when I think about entering into that, like, Christina, can you imagine... You're about the same age as Jerusha starting
2: over with another child. Yeah. <laughs> starting over with a seven year old, too. So not an No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not at all. I I think it Yeah. Yeah, so you, you don't have those you don't have those baby years, right? Mm-mm. You have yeah. the okay, I'm 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 a little person and I am learning how to yeah. become this human being. And you're in school and you're doing all the mommy things Mm -hmm.
2: again. Mm -hmm. Like
1: you were kind of. Yeah.
2: And I, and she has a history that I know nothing about Mm. that I wasn't a part of that I didn't get to help nurture. Um, so just literally plop a seven-year-old in your family, um, overnight.
0: (laughs) Now, how does a midlife woman navigate that? Like, I know this is something you considered for a long time, but it was actually delayed, you know, your desire to adopt and bring another child in. So as you got into midlife, did that feel more frightening? Or did you feel more confident in making that
2: decision? I think I felt more confident making the decision. I actually, funnily enough, wanted, I told um, the foster system that I wanted a three-year-old. And when I got um, our little seven-year-old at the time, I thought back to had she been three would have been a nightmare Um, (laughs) because the age difference between the youngest and she was already large enough. A three-year-old I was not cut out for. I thought I was. Good thing that, um, you know, the universe knew better than I did because three-year-old would not have been pretty
0: <laughs> and for those who don't know Jerusha's older kids are super compliant like yes. I've known Jerusha for over 15 years and I don't know I would always laugh because I got those children that James Dobson writes about they came out of the womb screaming and complaining and Jerisha got these compliant angels and then along
2: came Allie she's not <laughs> as compliant right she's not as compliant. She's, she's not as compliant as the other two with isn't saying much, but she's still the child who the worst punishment she could have is mom being disappointed in her. And mm-hmm. so I still take advantage of that as much as I can.
0: <laughs> now, Christina, did that work with your children?
1: Um, no, well, I my kids. Yes. And no, I would say yes and no. Um, for the most part, it was like my son, I don't really care. My daughter, on the other hand, no, she she's like mortified if we are upset with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my son, he's like, meh. You can be upset, but then it starts to wear on his spirit. Yeah, you know. And he's like, no, my mom is really upset when he started dipping and doing. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so hurt. I was like, what is going on? I didn't raise you this way. And that was a point of contention for us. So tell us a little bit about Yeah. It's so funny to hear
0: you say that because my boys just think they'll charm their way back in. The heck with how mom feels right now.
1: They'll just charm their way back. Oh <laughs> no, not not my well, let's talk a little bit about that. Like what are some points of contention like with you know how old is Allie now? She's Tell 13 old she years old.
2: 8th grade, 13 years oh, old. Oh lord. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um uh, you know, she's got um so far she's she's really just pretty delightful. Um she's got a lot more spunk and sass than her older brother and sister did. Um but I can kind of roll with that cuz I kind of do too, so I almost appreciate it. She um we have found she's pretty locked down. So I'm expecting, I mean, she does not have a phone. She does not have any social media. She is just the pariah of her friend group, apparently, because of this. Um, But I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) So um, areas of contention would really just be, um, she's probably what uh, Gail is referring to. She's a little bit more spunky, got a little bit of sass to her um, that my other two didn't have. But Again, uh, my grandmother, she reminds me a lot of my grandmother who was a spunky, sassy woman. So I try to appreciate it.
0: We're going to talk, <laughs> talk about her. We're going to talk about her. We're going to get to that because our listeners don't know that you're from a legacy family. We're not going to tell who yet because we want them to pay attention to all the content. And at the end, we're going to tell the family you're involved with and how that's played out in your life. What I would like to know as a midlife woman taking on a child in this season, has that kept you younger or made you feel older?
1: Oh gosh,
2: that's a question. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, (laughs) I would say that it's probably made me feel, um, a little bit younger. Um, you know, I had children very young and so, you know, Allie is more the average age of other women that I do life with, their children's ages. Um, Prior to that, one of the reasons Gail and I connected so much is because we were both in similar stages of life that other people were, our age weren't really in that stage of life. And so even though we had an age difference, we were in similar stages of life, and I haven't had a lot of people my age, uh, you know, to be able to walk through similar stages with, and Allie kind of, uh, you know, put that puzzle piece back together. So I felt like I was more you know, with my age group and doing life with that group a little bit more than I had with my elders.
0: You know, that's something we talk a lot about here in Midlife Moxie is it's not always about the age. It's Mm -hmm. about that season you're living through. So Mm -hmm. I think when we met, I think our kids were like two, three, and four. My son's was in a sandwich with your two and we just connected over that and that, you know, we have walked through a lot of seasons together. So now I want to talk about a season that was challenging you adopted a child mm-hmm. and within short order your marriage mm-hmm. crumbles yeah so
2: tell us about that about 3 years later um about 3 years after we adopted um alexandria um my marriage fell apart um it it i don't know if some of your listeners will understand when i say kind of slowly and kind of all at once at the same time. Um and so it was a very challenging season of my life as anybody would imagine. I think I present myself at least my loved ones share with me that I present myself as though um things aren't difficult. And I don't do that on purpose. Um I think I just I don't present as someone who struggles. Um and Gail, I think you and I have had that in common before where um, I don't know if you guys have discussed the Enneagram, but Gail and I are both eights, and we present um, as very strong personalities, but have very sensitive, um, tender insides. And that's a challenge. And that was a challenge through the divorce. Um, But my kids, very early on, somebody gave me the advice that I needed to care. Um, I needed to decide who I was going to you know, cater to through that divorce and whose opinions mattered to me and whose didn't because I was going to hear a lot of them. And um, my um, husband yeah. at the time was also a pastor. So it was uh, done in front of a church, which made it even that much more challenging. Um, and so I just um,
0: now let me insert sure. some material here that's going to make a difference okay for our readers who don't know our listeners who don't know mm-hmm. droosh is the granddaughter of the late reverend billy graham so she's from this legacy family um she's well known we live here in the southeast and her home you know where the grahams always lived is only about an hour and a half from where we live now so most people <laughs> like i heard who she was before she told me who she was like i'm like no she's not And they're like yeah she is i'm like I mean, she just doesn't really offer that up, but it's well known in our town. Mm -hmm. Then she was married to a man who had a lot of charisma and was well known in our town. He'd been a youth pastor at one very large church. And then they had started this second church. And Mm -hmm. you guys were both incredibly popular.
2: Um, Much to to my dismay. I've never been one to enjoy any sort of spotlight whatsoever. Um, I laugh that the Lord has given me the platform he has, because that's just not something that I feel comfortable with never have. As a child I felt uncomfortable when people sang happy birthday to me. I've just never really liked um people looking at me or any sort of attention and here I have this platform and then here I am divorcing um a man who, you know, yes, a pastor. <laughs> pastor. So um <sighs>
0: Well, you know, what was so interesting during Mm -hmm. that time, you brought up a little bit about how we keep things close to our chest. And I think a lot of midlife Mm -hmm. women hide what's going on in their lives. And Mm -hmm. we may have hidden it for years because of our children Mm -hmm. and all the things we're trying to keep up. The appearances, you know, the church response, the school, the Girl Scouts, the blah, blah, blah. We're we're living this life that may not Mm -hmm. be on the inside anything like it appears on the outside. So I I would say, is it fair to say, and probably at the time I was one of your closest three friends, fair to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I had no idea what was really going on.
1: Well, and I and think Christina,
0: too, you've had times like this, right?
1: Yeah. And I think too, like people, and I'm, I'm an Enneagram seven wing eight. I mean, yeah, wing yeah. eight. And so I kind of fall in between we all know. of this stuff. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, <Like> it shows. <laughs> it does all the time. Um, and, and I think that what is really interesting to me is that you were going through this, in a public way, but yet wanted to keep it closer to to your heart, you know, instead of it being broadcasted everywhere. And, you know, when it was broadcasted, you know, what, what were your coping mechanisms and how how did the friends react to what was going on? Because you're in a season of midlife and now you're like, okay, mm-hmm. everything just kind of, I, I hope this is okay to say, but it blew up And Mm -hmm. now I'm losing some friends and now I'm in this season where I have a brand new, brand new addition to our family and I need to make new friends Mm -hmm. um, because maybe some of the old friends didn't understand. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I get that. I have been in seasons where, you know, people take sides. It's unfortunate, but people take Mm -hmm. sides. Right. And you're like, well, what about me over here? I still have this, this, this lovely little core and you don't know everything. You just, I always tell people this there's there, there's her side, there's his side. And then in the middle, there's the truth. So right. There's always, there's always some stuff going on. So tell me about that a little bit. Like, tell us about how was it making friends in this season and losing
2: friends in this season too? Yeah. Um, Losing friends in this season um, was uh, the hardest part. It still is the hardest part when I think of a couple specific ones that I lost. Um, There isn't any um, animosity towards them really at all. Um, I had just a lot of grace for, yeah, a lot of people don't know how to respond when you know, the the friends that I lost happened to be friends that were, the husband was friends with my husband, and I was friends with the wife. And so neither of us, quote, won them in the divorce. They're not, you know, in either of our lives. But um, there was a lot of grace for, you know what, people don't know how to handle this, you know, when they have two friends that uh, go through something like this when it was unexpected, but at the same time, so public. And um, there was a lot of grace for the understanding that they don't know what they're doing either, and they're making mistakes as they walk through this, and I'm making mistakes as I walk through this, and, you know, we're all just surviving some circumstances that we um, didn't foresee coming, and so there was a lot of grace for that, but at the same time, I really had to learn, and I say that in the past tense, but I mean it very much in the present tense that I'm learning, Um that boundaries are okay and that, um, boundaries are not unkind. I think so often I felt like boundaries was being mean. Um, it's funny, my brother, I have a brother that I have a lot of them, but one of them is one of my very best friends. And prior to the divorce, he had spent some time with me and he said, you know, Jerusha, I'm sorry, but I think you need like to rehaul all of your friends. I'm just not really thrilled with your friend group. Then I go through a divorce like nine months later and he's like, I'm glad I made the cut. (laughs) You did make the cut. (laughs) And he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't mean for you to go through a divorce to rehaul your friend group, but um, (laughs) this had to be uh, (laughs) our, it was, Um, you know, as you guys probably understand or a lot of your listeners do go through a time like that and you will find out who your friends are as an Enneagram eight, loyalty is almost tacked on as a love language and so um you really find out who your friends are and the ones i have now are so much more authentic and true and real and i would die for them and they would die for me and i wouldn't trade it to be honest
0: what does boob sweat have you hot and bothered we have a solution for you enter boobalicious it is an all-natural vegan skin hygiene product that was created by another midlife woman for women just like you. As we enter midlife and menopause, we often sweat more, which can mean increased odor, an embarrassing problem. But when Boobalicious comes onto the scene, we can help you take care of that. This is safe to apply in between your boobs, under your boobs, and on your other lady parts. So go to their website, loveboobalicious.com. And that's love, L-U-V, love, boobalicious.com. and you can get a 10% discount by using the code Moxie. They are one of our preferred partners. We're excited about this collaboration. We can't wait to hear how much you love
1: Boobalicious. So when you're when you're in this season, and your brother says, "Hey, time to revamp your friends group," and you're like okay, what does that mean? And then the universe says, here's -hmm. what that means. Right. And you Mm -hmm. accept that. Mm -hmm. And now you're learning. And I loved what you said. Oh my gosh. I think that this is a beautiful statement. Boundaries are not unkind. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. Because I think so many times people think that they're, they're not nice, you know, and being a seven, it's really hard for me to set boundaries. So it's like, right. Um, so, I I want to know what does it look like today when you're engaging with a new person and you're saying, you know what, I want a friendship with you. How I guess in in, in layman's terms is how do you vet them to be right. your friend because you're a loyalist, right? So right. Like how does that
2: how does that work today? You know, I think for me. Um, History is really the biggest thing that creates a friendship. Um, uh, I keep people very close um, to my heart, but there's only a few of them. And um, going through different seasons with people is really the only thing that kind of vets them as far as I'm concerned. Um, I I just need to be um, a little bit more picky about this, let me say this, about who I have expectations from. That doesn't mean that I can't Mm. love you and serve you and be kind to you, but very few people do I have expectations in return, and um, that honestly just keeps me kind of protected from disappointment, to be honest, whether that's healthy or not, you know?
1: Well, that's what I—that's what I see—is like okay, it's a—it's a vetting process, and I also have boundaries, mm-hmm. but I also have protection. Um, so, right. So we don't have this revamping of friends group again. It's like no, we're just gonna. Well, I think we've
2: been this, we've been trained to think boundaries are unkind. I think largely, um, in you know the faith circles that I'm in, but also. Because people don't respond well to boundaries. You set a boundary in your relationship, and the response you usually get from people um, makes you feel as though you've done something wrong, that you've stepped over a line, um, that you have failed them in your relationship somehow. And so, um, you know, again, there's grace for that too, because we're all learning and we're all evolving, but. Um, I think that's why I've just had to learn that if you don't respect my boundaries, then I'm just going to have to allow that to be your issue and no longer mine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think boundaries are just good communication. They don't have to be ugly. They don't have to be brick walls. I know, like, when our kids were young, one of our boundaries was if we're going to lunch, they have to offer outdoor seating. That was Jerusha's boundary, and she meant it because (laughs) we we didn't want the stress of our children wrecking the restaurant. So, I mean, very true. you know, Jerusha, we go back a long time, and I think what's made our relationship work because— if people know us, they might not think that we're automatic friends. We have different styles. We have different even lifestyles mm-hmm. that we live. I mean, you're a, you're in bed at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm up to one a.m. You're up exercising. I'm eating a donut. I mean, <laughs> it's all over the place. But I think what has really <laughs> been there the whole time is this underlying movement towards growth. Always, mm-hmm. like every conversation we have. We're talking about doing better, being better, and not in a challenging way. It's just a very organic part of our relationship. And we've bounced ideas off of each other over the years. We've both even, and by no means grown at the same time. There's been seasons where you've grown and I'm like, I'm not there yet, then I'm there. And then, you know, and a lot of times we've looked at each other and had just this grace and capacity to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel about that right now. I don't know what I'm doing I don't know where I'm at but what we knew is that the relationship was there and her thinking differently feeling differently didn't change our relationship and I think that is a hallmark of a truly deep and abiding
2: relationship we've allowed each other to be different and we've respected each other's differences um and realized that in the big picture we have more in common than we do you know different. Um, I want to tell the story of the first time I sat down and said, I'm going to be friends with that woman. It was, I was out to eat and um, I was the pastor's wife of a church. I was there with my husband at the time who was the pastor. And here's this couple. It was after church. I don't remember that, but I remember it was TGI Fridays. That was our, that was one of our favorites for a while. And um, we were sitting at a table and I see she and her husband at another table. And I say, They are new to the church, like, you know, any good Southern pastor's wife does. We need to go over and introduce ourselves before we leave, Um, you know. So we walk over there, and during our three-minute conversation, I don't remember what they were. I wish I did. Gail tells at least three inappropriate jokes. And I remember thinking... I remember sitting back down and thinking, the fact that she had the nerve to do that to a pastor and his wife that she doesn't know, makes me know that what you see is what you get with her, and that is what I need in a friend. I don't care who you are, but I want to know what you see is what you get, and um, I appreciated it immediately.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell one on you now. This is what Jerusha told me later that the reason she knew we could be friends was because the way I dressed my child mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. <laughs> he had really cute stylish clothes yeah. and she's like oh there's some but it wasn't your normal kids clothes it was a little bit different a
2: little bit swag and she's like oh we can be friends we yeah. can be friends I, I moved I into the so south funny. in my twenties I was not raised in the south or in a family that had you know any thing that looked like the South and the style that people were dressing their kids when we got here was just something I was not familiar with. And, um, both of our sons had long shaggy hair all in their face. And I remember thinking, okay, uh, she's different than the rest of them. So it was, it was kind of, um, we kind of were authentically ourselves with each other from very early on, which I
0: appreciated. And the kids were very authentic, Mm -hmm. and that almost Mm -hmm. got us thrown out of several restaurants (laughs) or at least banned (laughs) to come during... Okay, divorce. Mm -hmm. So your world splits apart, Mm -hmm. homes are divided, friends are divided, Mm -hmm. and then you have an appearance on CNN, (laughs) and you hear from a college sweetheart, Enter Kyle. So you've just come out of a marriage, Mm -hmm. so
2: were you looking for your next husband?
0: I, mean- I wasn't
2: sure that I'd ever get remarried period. Mm. Um, I had already been an independent. I didn't think I did marriage well. Cause like I kind of lived my life and he kind of lived his life come to find out it's just because, you know, we weren't in love with one another. And that's probably why we were living our own lives. It's very different when you're married to somebody that you, um, are in love with but I wasn't really sure and the funny story about that CNN appearance is as I said to you all earlier I hate that stuff I love the opportunity I have to share my heart on such large platforms but I really my stomach gets in knots every time I have to do it so I got an email enough is going on in my life and I remember throwing my phone on the bed and saying I'm not doing it I'm not doing it and um. I feel convicted over the next 45 minutes to an hour, and I say, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. Um, So I do it. I go on it. Um, My, Actually a man I was engaged to in college saw it. Um, We had not spoken a word to each other in 22 years. I mean, not social media, not anything. Um, And he Facebook messaged me. I had recently gotten rid of Facebook, but I still had Messenger. And he started it with "I don't know if you remember me," which I remind him that I was offended by because we were engaged. You of were, course, I remember yeah, you. Yeah, I just forget <laughs> all the people I'm engaged to. Right, and um, we just chatted little a little bit, thing and that thing to was forget, it. Right, like right, really hard right. thing to we forget. We just chatted a little bit, and that was it. And then um, some other things happened in the world um, that connected us, and he contacted me again, and um. It was still, I'll still be honest with you, it was bad timing. There was one point where I said, uh, I'm going to just drop off the face of the earth for a while because this is, with everything else I'm going through, I don't want to, um, you know, disguise my feelings over here. I need to really be dealing with this authentically. I can't be distracted. Um, and so, didn't talk for about two months. Um, and then I remember him emailing me and I had one confidant that I was like, you think it's okay if I email him back now? And, um, long story short, we got married, um, uh, about a year and a half after my divorce, which felt very quick, but it also felt just kind of just right at the same time.
0: I mean, you were picking up where you left off basically. So it wasn't <laughs> like you had to start from scratch. right?
1: And I'm just going to say, Okay, so what I love what you said was um, that you were trying to figure out this thing authentically. This, this, I I like to call it wreckage, right? Just like this wreckage that is going on. I need to address this so that you could enter into this new season Mm -hmm. fully Mm -hmm. ready to embrace it and to be authentically who you were meant to be. And engage mm-hmm. him in, in that part of you. You're healed. You're ready. And I just love that. I think that's so powerful. And right. more people, right. I feel, right. need to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to I connect with you, but I'm in this season right now. And mm-hmm. if you still want to be here after I've dealt with this season, mm-hmm. awesome. Let's connect. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, to reiterate that. Right.
0: Well, especially here, you were coming out of a, yeah, you, you were coming
2: out of a season that was filled with inauthenticity. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, that was really, you talk about a pivot, that was really the driving force behind my pivot. Um, I don't even want to give myself credit to say that I have the courage to say, no, I'm going to live authentically. It almost felt more out of survival. Um, I need to be who I feel like I am. And earlier in the broadcast, I said that I had to choose who I was going to listen to during that season. And honestly, the three people I chose to listen to were my daughter, my son, and my daughter. And. I answer to you guys and I answer to the Lord but I don't answer to anybody else not the closest people in my life this is the four of us are going through this and um you know how hard is it to be authentic in this day and age I mean we have we have Everything around us is encouraging and asking us to be inauthentic all of the time, Um, all the way down to social media and to actually say, no, I'm just going to be who I believe I am. At the same time in my 40s, trying to figure out who that even was, you know, Um, but I knew, like Gail said, there had been a lot of inauthenticity that I kind of thought for a while was just the way. You lived as a Christian in the South. That was just, that was what you do. And when you come from a famous family, you just, you suck it up and you do what you're supposed to do and you say what you're supposed to say to meet everyone's expectations. And that's, it's just not sustainable. You can't sustain that for very long. And um, I think that midlife pivot was me saying, I can't sustain this anymore.
1: Well, I loved, I loved that, the midlife That you bring it full circle with midlife because I think that a lot of our listeners are learning how to become authentically who they were created to be in midlife. I know for myself, when I hit 40, my children are grown and they're out of the house. And so Mm -hmm. when I hit 40, it was like, I felt like the 30s were my training ground you really do a great job and set boundaries and know who I be without having any sort of input from anybody. It was just me, God, and, and my son at the time. And that was it. And to walk into that season, I think is really powerful. And, and, I think a lot of people are learning that like 40s, 50s, whatever whatever that is for their midlife. Some, some people go through it a, a lot earlier based on mm-hmm. season. And um, mm-hmm. I noticed that it's just like the I don't give an F meter just kind of elevates. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we tend to
2: say, that's okay. That is really okay. Yeah. I think you start realizing... What do I have to lose? You know, it, what I have to lose is, you know, my passions, um, my relationship, the things that make me who I was designed to be. That's actually at risk. So, why am I, you know, being a slave to all of these other things? And when, when I say all of these other things, what it really comes down to is mm-hmm. what do people think of me? And, um, I heard a statistic one time and I'm going to botch it, but it was something along the lines of 98% of the people make 98% of their decisions based on what the thoughts of complete strangers. And when I think about that, I'm like, that's really true. Um, and I think as we. All get older, and you know we have more life behind us. I think we start to realize, wait a minute, it's I'm not, I can't be living my life for other people. I need to live my life for, you know, myself, my children, my faith, whatever it is that your compass is. Um, We just maybe become a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, you know, Jerusha,
0: yours, I think it just really is kind of like busting out of your shell. And I think that's where a lot of our listeners can relate. Mm -hmm. We get to midlife, and we realize there's this life built around us, but we're kind of dying on the inside. We're not living out who we are. We're not living out who we thought to be. Because face it, a lot of us are in careers that we chose when we were 19, 20 years old. We went to school. We were made to choose, you know, way back then. And, you know... Time goes on, and I think the more time goes on and wisdom of the ages sets in, you start to realize the difference between you and that outer shell. And when that divorce hit, Mm -hmm. watching from the outside, it was like your shell was just cracked. And you Mm -hmm. stepped out of that shell and you reclaimed your life you reclaimed who jerusha really was not who anyone expected you to be mm-hmm. and i think that's a powerful message for our listeners so where did the courage for that come from because the next thing we're going to talk about is you also went back to school got a master's degree Mm -hmm. (laughs) with three kids, newly married, Mm -hmm. uh, three stepchildren. I mean, in the middle of just what seems like chaos, Mm -hmm. you knew who you were and what you wanted to do, and you're willing to pay the price. So you went back, got your master's degree. So tell them about where that courage came from to go back and embrace who Jerusha really was and walk
2: into this new season, because I think that sounds scary to a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I said earlier, I... I hate to even use the word courage because it wasn't it was I needed to do it to survive. I mean, and I don't mean, you know, literally survive, But you know, but, a lot of women don't do what they need to do to survive. Yeah, no, that that's true. But it was because of my family and because of um, the life that I was grown up, you know, I grew up within my family and then the family I had created marrying a pastor. I was in the spotlight all the time. Um, I mean, I was in People magazine starting when I was five years old. So this was my life. I saw my grandfather on magazines in the public's shopping center. I thought this was normal. Um, And so my whole life had been built around um, just kind of cultivating a narrative that everybody felt comfortable with. Um, But I didn't feel comfortable with it. And so to say at that point, when I say surviving, I think I just meant I had another shot to say, you know what, I'm going to live for other people or I'm going to live my passions. And that's really what going back to school was for me. I, um, My passions is about loving God and loving others. And really nothing else matters to me but caring for and serving other people. Um, I was a pastor's wife who wasn't making, we weren't making a lot of money, and I needed to speak to a therapist, but when I went to my church pastor, they sent me to a, you know, a pastoral counselor on staff, but what I needed to speak to them about was my marriage, and I didn't feel safe to do that. Um, I needed somebody who was legally required to keep our conversations confidential, but I didn't have the funds to do that. And so I put myself in those shoes and realized how many people are in the position where they don't have the funds to seek therapy or mental health. And um, I wanted to be able to be an avenue for those people. So um, I took the trial that I went through and turned it into, okay, well, now I see that there's this um, this area of need and I'd like to try to take my trial and fill it for somebody else who could possibly be going through something similar.
1: So was it? So was it challenging? I mean, to enter into school in midlife. I mean, I, I mean, it sounds like you just shifted completely to something that organically happened to you because of, mm-hmm. of, of the season that you were in, mm-hmm. and it organically happened. You went to school, and you're like, "There's a need. I'm going to fill the need." Mm-hmm. And I'm in midlife. I mean, because mm-hmm. I know for myself, Jerusha, my brain does not work like a 20-something-year-old. Like, it just doesn't. I'm always, like, Say monkey brain everywhere. and Yeah. You know, so it gets... Yeah. It's like, how do you, how do you focus that in? And, you know, tell me, tell me like, was it, was it a challenge and why? And, and if it wasn't a challenge, why not? What, what, <laughs> what do you have to say to, to our listeners on, on that? Because some people are doing that. They're, they're shifting, mm-hmm. they're pivoting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, good for them. And it was absolutely a challenge. I mean, absolutely. I you know, you can it's hard to write a 14, you know, page term paper when you just put the milk away in the cabinet, you know? I mean, that's just where our minds are now in our yeah. 40s and um to I I honestly am very very my friends get on to me because they say that I don't um take like credit for my accomplishments, but I'm so so aware of the shoulders of other people that I stood on in order to have the accomplishments that I have. Um, My husband was a huge support. Um, If there was ever a need um, around the home, picking up kids, dropping off kids, he was a huge, so I can't take away from that. Um, But yeah, it was absolutely hard. It was a challenge. I. I think I can say this. My ex-husband always discouraged me from going to school because he said, "I don't think you know how hard grad school is." So I got a four fully out of spite, um, just to you. prove, <laughs> just Good to prove you. that it can be done. Um, and so, well, and let's be clear, he hadn't been to grad school. No, no, yeah. No, no. <laughs> what
0: an ass! You know? Right, right, right. So, um,
2: so I. There was some there was a little bit of spite driving that, I'll have to be honest. But um you know, my personality is has always been it's more it's more interesting when it's challenging. And, um, but that doesn't mean it's easier. It's just the challenge is what drives me. Um, but at some point I still had to get over that hump. Like I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, but I think once you get over the hump and you get into a rhythm, it's just the courage to make that initial jump.
1: And I, I loved what you just said about, I like things that are challenging. It sounds like you reframed your thought process Mm -hmm. in order to, get through this I mean that's a that's a huge shift in reframing of the mindset knowing that I'm in this season right now I'm newly married three kids going back to school there's a need I have Mm -hmm. to feel it and I am going to be the best at it like when you Mm -hmm. get a 4.0 I'm like dang girl like yeah
2: Go ahead with that. Yeah, that is. Well, I
1: think when think as we get
2: older, we're just like, listen, we're not going to half-ass this, okay? If yeah. we're going to do this, we're going to do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: You know, I picked out a few things there. As you're saying, I think this is something too that happens with women in midlife is we get way more intentional yes. about everything we do. It's never just about a dollar anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about having a calling or having a talent or something within us. And mm-hmm. I. That's that's the one thing I've explained this season for myself. I feel like there's something else in me. There's more in me to do here hmm. on Earth to mm-hmm. make a difference to give. There, I'm just not done. I'm not yeah. used up, and I feel like a lot of women roll into this season and they feel washed up, yeah. undervalued, insecure, thrown out, unimportant. And we want you went through a season where you were not strongly using your gifts and talents. I mean. I, you know, I mean, Sharon, you were delivering tacos for just oh, yeah. some little side money. That was how, oh, yeah. you know, tacos to CNN. I mean, your life was just kind of <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> but it wasn't like you were like doing what you believed in completely. And when you get to midlife, things like that become more important. So yeah. I wanted to bring that up. But also, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that divorce does come in midlife. I'm going to look up some statistics on this because I do think it's a season where... A lot of men go through midlife crises. Other women just can't take anymore. A lot of people decide, you know, the children are finally raised. We're going to just call this quits. So I don't think it's uncommon for midlife women to find themselves divorced. And I think they wonder if they'll ever be loved Hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And I just have to share with them the love that Kyle has for you is a love that everybody would yearn for. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's some old man and you're his young hottie. You mm-hmm. are about the same age. Mm-hmm. You were in college together. Mm-hmm. And it truly is an appreciation of who you are as a person because when he walked back into your life, you were at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, we met for lunch one day, and frankly, you looked like hell. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. I mean, it's it's I fair. thought, I thought, damn, she is a wreck, which I expected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you can palpitably feel and see someone's pain. So it's not like he walked up on you when you were running mm-hmm. a triathlon and said, hey, babe. I mean, mm-hmm. he walks in when you're not your best in mm-hmm. any way and he and he admits to having flaws mm-hmm. and some past bad decisions in mm-hmm. his last marriage but i want the i want the listeners to really know that there are second chances mm-hmm. there is redemption mm-hmm. and for you it's happening in midlife you mm-hmm. are living out your career as you want to you've done your education as you want to you're still parenting in Mm -hmm. a way that's true to who you are your long-term friends that are your real friends are still here and you have this wonderful new husband that loves you completely for who Mm -hmm. you are so what would you say about all that because as much as I love you and I think you're an amazing I don't think there's something that is so special about you that makes you different than every other woman. You are special. You, you know, don't misunderstand me. For
2: sure. But I think
0: these same things are available for other people. Would yeah. you
2: agree? And what, oh, absolutely. what would you say to them? I think that, you know, the psychoanalyst part of me is going to come out and say that it really comes down to what we believe our value is. You know, we use, you use mm. the word insecurity. And I think as we get older, we really start to have, you know, those midlife thoughts of what, who am I? What is my identity without my kids? Because for 20 years my identity has been mom, and that identity is slowly—I'll always be mom—but that identity is starting to look so different. Who am I? And what is my value? And um, I think recognizing that every single person listening has a their own value um, that is god-given that their family feels towards them that friends feel towards them but more importantly what they feel about their value that they are worth taking those risks and doing hard things to make their life look the way they want it to look Um, and i think that as we get older we start to ask the questions about our value maybe a little bit more than we did when we were younger there's so many identities to hide behind when you're younger. Absolutely. And as you get older, you have to start questioning, wait, who who am I without kids? And who am I without, you know, carpools to run and soccer games to go to? And um, you really start to ask those questions.
1: It's like the labeling, right? The labeling mm-hmm. of your life. You You have all these different hats that you wear up until your kids kind of go off and mm-hmm. start doing their own thing, right? I felt mm-hmm. like that happened to us when my son turned 16 it was like all right I got my license um I go one week on one week off it was preparing me for being an empty nester and um and you really start to analyze like okay Mm -hmm. I've got another you know maybe 40 years Mm -hmm. what is what do I want that to look like really and do I want to continue to hide under a label or a right. perception or a, a a thing that's tangible? Or do I want to explore how to be better, do better for me and for the legacy that I want to leave behind for my children, my family, things of that nature? And it sounds like you found that through through this big blow up, you mm-hmm. found this sense of clarity is what I mm-hmm. hear. You found a sense of clarity in the direction. And wow, that's really impressive. I'm, I'm just yeah. really excited to um, have you share all of this with our, with our audience.
2: Well, think about society tells us ladies that, you know, we're our value lessons and lessons, the older we get. You know what are what are we worth in our forties and fifties? Um, we don't look the we're way we here did when at midlife wants
0: we, we strongly disagree here. At yeah, midlife absolutely,
2: Monty. absolutely. You can your best days are still ahead of you.
0: Well, we just feel like midlife women, we have the experience we've developed. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you stayed home with kids, Mm -hmm. you learn to manage people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You learn to manage time. You learn to manage. There's so many things that midlife women have skills in. And we have the wisdom of the years. And we also have the big dose that don't give a rip what Mm -hmm. everybody else thinks. So I have two last questions for you. One is... Now that you're in this season, you've come from a legacy family. There's always been a certain responsibility, I assume, we've kind of talked about this, that you, I even laughed one time. I'm like, do you not feel any pressure? Like all your aunts have books. And I mean, gosh, what are you you doing? This was back when we were sitting at the playground. Our biggest concern were our children throwing rocks at other children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm thinking, I mean, I remember asking you that basically, Mm -hmm. aren't you supposed to do something big here? I know you have become, you've really thought a lot of your political and social stances through in this season, and you and I have walked out a lot of that together and Mm -hmm. separately, but kind of in some kind of harmony and dance, and I think that's something that happens in midlife. We're willing to take a look at everything. Mm -hmm. And so in the light of that, how do you see your legacy of what you're going to contribute what your grandfather contributed. And I wanted you to also in this question, touch on your grandmother, because mm-hmm. I think you see yourself living out her legacy, sometimes more than your grandfather's legacy. <laughs> so how um, does this look different than it might've looked 20 years ago?
2: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even attempting to uh, live out my grandfather's legacy. And maybe that's the difference between myself and some of my aunts and uncles is um my identity isn't found in being his granddaughter, but also, I mean, I'm not touching, trying to live his legacy with a 10 foot pole because I mean, it's just, <laughs> nobody's ever going to walk the earth uh, like him, I believe again. And so um, I appreciate how closely I was able to watch him because we talk a lot today about authenticity and there really wasn't anybody more authentic than he was. Um, he It was almost like he was almost a naivety that he was unable to be anything but authentic. It wasn't a challenge for him um, and so if my legacy could be that um, I said earlier that, Jesus, that Jerusha loved the Lord and loved others, that is literally all I would want to be said. Um, because I that's what shaped a lot of my political views is just sitting down and listening to people's stories and hearing their walks and how differently they looked than mine. And you can't hear someone's story and their journey and their struggles and their challenges and not walk away changed or think differently about them. Um my grandmother The best thing she gave me was so many times, especially in the South, which I wasn't raised fully here, but um, we're taught as women especially that to be spiritual, we need to be quiet and submissive and meek and mild. And my grandmother was the most God-fearing woman I ever knew, and she was not any of those things <laughs> she said sometimes it's time to stop submitting and start outwitting <laughs> and, I love that. and I love that. that was very much the way she lived and um she was spunky and she was funny and she was crass sometimes and she loved a good joke and she loved the lord with all of her heart and she always showed me that maybe a god-fearing woman doesn't always fit inside a box and um that always encouraged me because I didn't feel like I fit inside a box, but oh I could gosh. still be a God-fearing woman.
1: That was beautiful. Can I just say, I just loved hearing that, how you <laughs> depict both of your grandparents. I mean, I was sitting here and I'm like welling up because it's just this this beautiful, heartfelt, just the way they lived their life. Hmm. You know, and and just to know the legacy of, of your grandfather, I mm-hmm. I know what that looks like, right? Um, right? Because we all have seen that. But to hear your grandmother and to hear that she didn't want to be put in a box. And I think so mm-hmm. many times, not to get on the bandwagon of, you know, religious talk. I don't want to go there. But I I think that sometimes it's funny because I always tell people, Listen, I'm a gangster Christian. Don't play with me, because I, and and she I. she loves still,
0: Jesus, but she will shank I, you. I
1: will, and I just think that's so awesome that your grandmother was like, "Listen, mm-hmm. you know, here's mm-hmm. here's where I stand, but I still love Jesus with all mm-hmm. my heart. Like that mm-hmm. is beautiful and awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing." you know, those intimate thoughts and those, um, those characteristics of who they were and how they impacted Mm -hmm. your life. I mean, I think that's really powerful because if Mm -hmm. we look back, right, if each one of us looks back, there's somebody that was a pivotal person in our life Mm -hmm. that made a very big impact, which serves as a, has a guiding light for our future and I just love that thank you so much for sharing that I mean I'm just like "Mm."
0: (laughs) while Christina dries her tears I'm just gonna say that you know over the years you've told me a lot of things about your grandfather and a little intimate moments that I won't share here but just based on what you've told me Jerusha I hate that he's missed these last few years of mm-hmm. your life because mm-hmm. I know his desire would have never been for you to go through a terrible divorce, mm-hmm. but I think he would have been proud of the mm-hmm. fallout. I think mm-hmm. he would have been proud of the the butterfly who has busted out of the cocoon, how mm-hmm. you found yourself, how you've handled yourself because you really had a chance to sling a lot of mud that you did not sling. Mm-hmm. Took that mud and built a new house with it mm-hmm. to heck with, you know, slinging it. And I, I just think he'd be proud. I think your grandmother would be super proud I think she would be parked in front of CNN cheering you on and um, I think you know having women like that who were strong and who made a difference before that was the cool thing to do before yeah. it was acceptable Right. you know just really people like her paved the way for all of us yeah, sure so did. my last question is I think we can definitely decide you have found your midlife moxie and we're gonna give you a t-shirt to prove it okay but we the last question is, you're very hip with your style. You are relevant. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on? You know the phrases. we mm-hmm. you and I watch all the cool TV shows. I know that. We don't always agree on what they are, but tip for <laughs> our listeners in closing, how do you stay young and feel like you stay relevant on this planet as a forty three year old mom of three plus three?
2: Oh, man. I don't know if staying young is my goal. Um, I am definitely not using skincare as, you know, but um I, I, <laughs> oh, no. I think Jerusha. as cliche as cliche <laughs> and you know, midlife woman as this sounds. it's really just about um about being young on the inside. It really is. Um, My kids keep me young. Um, I'm way too, way much more into pop culture than I should be. That probably keeps me young. Um, But I think it's really about just uh, what your spirit is. And if your spirit's young, then you stay young.
0: And I think it's okay to have a young spirit. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes... We think that is a sign of immaturity or that Mm -hmm. we're not grown, but ladies, it's not. Mm -hmm. There's a little girl inside of all of us, and I think there's a lot of fun left in all of us, and for some of us, that's been beaten down, painted Mm -hmm. over, Mm -hmm. locked up, and we really hope you'll find your moxie and let it all out. Well, friends. I think this is the most time we've been able to spend together since COVID started. <laughs> so if this serves for nothing else. And I'm so <laughs> glad for my two friends to meet. Yeah. I think yep. you guys it was so nice would to really, meet you. nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. But thanks for sharing your story. I know yeah. you've lived a lot of your life in the public eye, but mm-hmm. I know in my asking you to, to revisit it, there's always the potential of that bringing up pain and that would never be my goal, but we hope in your sharing that some other is inspired by your story to know that you can bust out of the shell you can go mm-hmm. back to school you can remarry you can take on a new career you can mm-hmm. take on a new child whatever's truly in your heart mm-hmm. in midlife is not a that's not a season to say i can't it's a season to say why not and right. you have just beautifully embodied that so anything you want to say to our listeners
2: i don't think so other than just you know the best years are ahead of you i fully fully believe that um there's a confidence inside of you as you get older that will be the tools that you can use to just have your best years still ahead it's it's not about giving up it's about um getting better
0: you were supposed to say too to always listen to midlife moxie because gail and christine are
2: awesome that is the, that's the key. That is the biggest tool in the toolbox right there. That's the key to life, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> it. That's everything.
0: So, <laughs> Christina, you want to close us
1: out? Yes. Well, Jerusha, thank you so much for coming today and um, sharing your experience, your strengths, your struggles, and also your good times um, and your fun and your legacy with us today. I know that our listeners are going to absolutely be on the floor listening to this <laughs> and their their hair is gonna be blown back girl because this was super powerful and um, thank you thank you again and rock our moxie t-shirt okay will? like everywhere you go
2: will. don't even <laughs> watch it we
1: want to see you in it and um, take a
2: picture and tag us all right all right, <laughs> all right. thanks for having me on guys. Thanks Thanks for for tuning
0: in, everyone.
2: (laughs) Bye. Until next
0: time, go find your Moxie.